Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode has Josh Deshay, who he believes business is personal. And you know what? I'm inclined to agree. He has some incredible insights on business. He also has some really great insights on just the coaching consulting world, which he's an expert in. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, thanks for checking out another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. Man, we got some great advice for you today. Sitting down with Josh Deshay. Man, Josh is somebody who I've been following on LinkedIn for literally probably at least a year. He's on the show today. He's phenomenal. He's a business and leadership coach. He's also the creator of the Equational Success Formula. He's going to tell you exactly what that is today. But beyond what he's created, Josh also believes in giving without expectation. He also believes, and this is something that I really love, that business is personal. And we're going to be talking more about that today. Josh, thank you for being here today. Man, it's good to be here. I, I uh, was telling my wife that I was running sprints before this just because <laughs> I was so excited to talk to you. I, uh, more than anything, I just like hearing myself talk. So that's probably <laughs> why, but no, I'm really happy to be here, bud. Well, and, and you know, like I said in the intro, man, I've been following your content. It's, it's just always special to get someone on the podcast who, and you and I were joking about this a little bit a second ago. It's always great to have someone on the podcast who they have such a, an applicable perspective on life. Like whenever you're talking about content, I mean, you just put out a post yesterday that was kind of ripping on these like cheesy cliches that we get in business. You have just such a grounded approach to business, man. I really appreciate that about you. Well, you know, so it's funny. I think most of that comes from the fact that I'm not afraid to consistently admit how screwed up I've been over the course of my life, right? I mean, I think, <laughs> I think everybody has a story. And unfortunately, when people start to either realize they've got to change it or they start to become more of a success. They, they try to minimize or hide all the scripts they had in the past because they believe that's what people want to see in a true leader. And I've just decided that I'm going to embrace, I would say something else if I was on this, if I was not on the podcast, but I just learned to embrace my inner screw up yeah. <laughs> and realize that one of the things that people want from a coach, from a consultant, is real life applicable understanding of the situation that they're in because it allows us to figure out how people can change. And I just, I put that into everything I write, the videos I put together, the coaching and, co and consulting that I do. It's just me. Mm -hmm. And there's no, I, it's funny. I, I, uh, I've been on LinkedIn for a while, probably like you have. And before I started making posts, it was always a very, an aseptic way of posting for most people that do what I do. And it was a, it was done in a way that was kind of self-centric, right? It was, Hey, I'm going to post something that makes me look super awesome 
super great, never screw up. I'm not going to say anything that might ruffle feathers. I'm going to, it's very, very whitewashed. Mm. And I decided I was going to get on and if I wasn't going to have a shtick, I wasn't going to have, you know, the cool clothes. I wasn't going to sound like an authority. I was just going to be me in front of a camera or writing. And if people liked it, great. If they didn't, okay. So uh, I appreciate you saying that. Well, how, how did you get to that? I mean, um, cause, cause you're talking about flipping a switch on social media that I think, I think once people, once that clicks exactly what you're talking about, mm-hmm. it's, it's invigorating and it's exciting because now you're really showing who you are, Yeah. but it, it feels like there's still, and it's the majority of people where making that flip, you know, it's, and maybe it's insecurity, maybe it's ego. I, I don't know quite what it is, but it's hard for people to do that, to sort of expose themselves. Yeah, that's, and it's not just LinkedIn, it's life in general, right? Um, uh, I'm a big music fan. And so one of my favorite artists was always Billy Joel, right? And he had this song called Mask, right? And it kind of went like, well, we all have a face that we hide away forever. And we take them out and show ourselves when everyone has gone. And it was about this idea that we all have this mask that we put on, right? And we've all heard that before. Um, and we put it on in front of other people to show a different face based upon who we're in front of. and we've gotten to this point where, and marketing, by the way, was like that forever. We've gotten to this point where people just are smarter. Mm. People see through it. And so when it comes to, you know, living life or living business, whether it's face to face or on LinkedIn, um, people know when you're being, when you're full of crap, Mm. they just do. Um, They know when, you know, when you post every single day, how happy you are to, to be here. It's bull crap. Right. I mean, it's just it's it's absolute bullcrap. And and so I just got to this point where I said, okay, one, I don't have the energy to (laughs) pretend like someone else all the time. I did that for a long time. Exhausting. Yeah, I I did it for a long time. I acted the way I thought people wanted me to act in order to get what I needed to get. And does that mean that I don't put on a happy face? No, I mean, I I do. We all do. Um, But if someone asks me how my day is and it's hectic. I say, man, this is hectic. Mm-hmm. If I, if I had a crappy night's sleep, I say, Hey, I had a crappy night's sleep. And, and I think that translates and rolls over into what I do. Like you said on LinkedIn, I think people are afraid to do that because they still are, are of this belief that those who are in charge of, of them, their clients and prospects all expect them to be perfect. And it's just not the truth. No client expects that. By the way, I, I made that video the other day about failed, failed, um, failed people, right. Um, make the best leaders, people who have failed and people who have struggled and it's all about relatability. So if I make a post calling out, um, like you said, old business jargon, I think it's ridiculous. 95% of people are going to say, wow, yeah, I hate those. You're going to have some trolls who don't like it or some people who genuinely love you know, terms like drink the Kool-Aid, which is disturbing to me, (laughs) but, um, that's okay. Because again, being transparent and real and trying to be just who I am means that not everyone's going to like me. I'm, I know I've had a ton of people block me because of that and I'm good with it. (laughs) Well, I, I love, I love the security of what you're talking about, the the security in yourself, right? Because this is not even just social media, this is for entrepreneurship. This is for business. I mean, anyone who's going to run something successfully 
at some point has to be okay with not just trolls, but like people who don't like your product, who don't want what you have, maybe even some people who are very vocally, uh, and, and not that you don't do a good job with your customers, but people who are like, oh, you sell what? Oh, that's stupid. Or even like in the coaching consulting world, I've had people be like, people actually hire you? Really? Like, yeah. you know, that's, there must be weak people if they need outside help. You know, and so th- I, think, I think you're talking about on this journey of business, getting to the point of it's okay not to be, one, liked by, every, by everyone, but also work with everybody. I, I think, and yes, absolutely. The other side of this is if we're talking about being transparent and real, there's another side to this that people who um, say that they're going to be transparent and real, and then they say, hey, you know what? I've got haters, and I've got people that don't like me, and I'm completely good with it. I love those people. It's great. That's bullshit, too. I mean, right? It is. And so for me, what I've learned is this, that being sure of myself, I'm not always sure of myself. Um, so people watching understand that I've got imposter syndrome, too. I think most of us do. Mm. Um, but I think... And by the way, uh, a wonderful lady named Donna English, who is here on LinkedIn out of the UK, taught me about that. She's got a great company, so go check her out. But I think um, to me, it's more about understanding that there are going to be those people. It's not saying that you have to be 100% okay with it Mm. and that you love it, but it's just being real, right? And saying, hey, I'm good with it. And I think that's the other part. So again, there's also another subculture on social media and in business that says you have to embrace the fact that people aren't going to like you and you have to be great with it and you have to love it. And you know what? I love all those people that can't stand me. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. But again, it's, it's the sun's going to, the sun's going to set and the sun's going to rise. And it's understanding that, that, I'm going to be completely transparent with the good and I'm going to be transparent with the bad. Yeah. Um, well, let me, let me take that back. Not completely transparent because no one is 100% transparent, but as transparent as my own inner self allows me to be. And, and it's understanding that we all make much, much more out of the potential repercussions of that than what really actually happens. That goes to though the fact that there's just no shtick. Yeah. You know, I, I, I make fun of, I talk and joke about my hair. What's well, a joke? Um, you know, I, I have like 40 people who have like endorsed me for great hair. It's all a joke. <laughs> and if people really want to dig into it, right. If we want to go psychoanalyze Josh Deshay, it, it's, it's a way for me to combat, you know, the self doubt that's always there. Mm. And, and, and so again, I think this is all just about being as real as you're able to be. Um, sometimes you can be more real than others, um, but it's always about, look, practicality. You know, we have business coaches and, and business consultants out there who try to sell some very ornate, difficult, special right. product. Right. And in the end, there isn't one idea I've ever heard from a coach that I've said, wow, I've never heard that before. Right. Right. I mean, it's just, yeah. to me, I teach people from a consulting side with large businesses or individually on business coaching, what's the path that gets you where you need to be on a permanent level faster than others? Mm-hmm. And the, and on a permanent level is, is the important one, right? Not, not quick fixes, mm-hmm. but practical application of practical items creates um, long-term success. It always has. It's the reason that 
sport coaches, like you think about football coaches in the United States, what is it they always talk about? The blocking and tackling, right? The fundamentals. You know, if you want to win a Super Bowl in, in the NFL or in, you want to win the national championship in sports, you, you, you've, you've got to do those basics really well. And I think so many people in business forget the, the forget those basics that they're taught initially mm-hmm. and they go and try to do something that's awe inspiring mm-hmm. and they forget the fact that when they walk into the office every day, they ignore 15 people as they walk to their desk. Why does it seem like, and I want to, I want to get back to what you just said in a second, yeah. but you're obviously, you know, the coaching field is inundated with so many people you obviously you're talking about a differentiator about you that separates you. And that's, that's the mm-hmm. tangibility. That's the real results. It's the, man, it feels like a lot of, you know, and, and I love what we're saying coaches or consultants. Cause you know, I, some people are so particular on what you call them, but it seems like a lot of people in this industry in our industry are so abstract in their practice, you know, and, yeah. and I, I don't even mean like, 30,000 foot view. We're, we're talking about like the business conceptually. I mean that I've engaged with a lot of fellow coaches who are so, um, you know, we're really going to, we're really going to work on the inner you before we work on the business. And there, there's a level of, of that has to happen in some way. Mm-hmm. But I was just reading a report the other day that talked about the number one reason that people hate coaches is because there's no results. There's no, yeah. there's no practicality. And so, since that's something that you hang your hat on, you're really driven by the practical, this is how we're going to solve these dysfunctions permanently. What's the disconnect in our industry with other coaches and consultants? All right. So let me answer. Let me, let me get to one point you made first. And then, sorry, the uh, struggle of having beautiful long eyelashes. Is, uh, <laughs> they're getting in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> you got the hair and the eyelashes, man. And the, be- you know, I mean, yeah, some people... I think, uh, didn't Rod Stewart sing it? Some guys have all the luck. Um, (laughs) man, there's a bunch of like non 40 year olds who are going, what the hell is he talking about? Um, (laughs) so one, I I'll say this from a practicality standpoint, the inner, the inner you does absolutely matter. It does. Right. It absolutely matters. The the struggle is, all right, we're just talking about being practical and real here the vast majority of coaches out there and everybody watching this right here, who's a coach is not falling to this. Um, <laughs> but the vast majority of coaches don't really have a plan. Mm. Right. I mean, if you, if you really, really dig deep into it, the people who have coaches and, and, and they're really good people and they know what they're doing, but it's really hard to push for results. R- results are not on one person, right? So, I can be a leader in a large sales organization, which I have before, and I can only do so much as the leader. I, I can even get out there and actually sell it myself, but that so much of the success of the organization or the individual when we're doing one-on-one coaching is up to the other person. And so results are really difficult, yet results are what separate the really good from the average, right? Mm -hmm. And so from my point of view, if if we just want to talk about practicality, coaches are paid on a very finite scale in a matter of time, right? Because at a certain point, the person isn't seeing results. They're going to get rid of the coach. So to me, from what I see and what I believe most coaches, 
will go out and, and try to elongate the amount of time that they say it's going to take, right? So how do you do that? Well, you do that by adding in things that are not quantifiable. And if you have weeks of unquantifiable, it allows you to say, well, we weren't talking about results at this point anyway. It's a longer process. And you know what? The, the problem is they're right in some aspects because you do have to deal with those inner things, those things that are not quantifiable. For me personally, what I decided to do was because business is personal and everything is intertwined, I intertwine all of it together. That way we're talking about one of the things I talk about are, are people's personal truths. You know, what is it that makes you who you are today? What is it that makes you make decisions that you make on a constant basis? Look at anyone out there who has failed consistently and they have certain patterns they fall into all the time. If you don't try to figure out why they continue to revert back to that, then you have no way of actually fixing it. Mm -hmm. The only difference for me is I intertwine that with practical things that they need to do before our next session in order to move ourselves forward. So instead of saying these next, the first three weeks are going to be, they would never say this, but instead of saying the first three weeks are going to be non-quantifiable, so you're not going to see any results. Mine is we're going to splice this. Your homework is going to be to figure out what are your top 10 personal truths? What do you believe? What do you do? What do you revert to? What, what are positive things that you do? What are some negative things that you do? And then trying to figure out why. Because if you figure out the why of why you're doing it, then you can figure out how to either avoid it or to delegate it or to push through it. But then when you splice that with practical application of what's going to make them successful when it comes to results, now you've truncated the amount of time that it takes to get this person to be successful. And does it mean that it always works? No. Uh, because again, it's contingent upon me breaking through to them contingent upon them doing the work that they need to do, contingent upon them being truthful with the truths and the other things that they have, and contingent upon me being relatable enough to that individual for them to trust what I'm saying. So it's on everyone. But I think when I do that, it allows for, I don't know, it allows for us to look at the result at the end. And then after the six weeks, because my initial coaching is six weeks, after the six weeks, if they don't like the results they've gotten, then it's over. And I know that. And I don't push for um, us to have more time because, quote, unquote, we didn't have enough time. So yeah, you're right. I, <laughs> I, I just I do things a little bit differently. And maybe that's because I feel real secure because I have the business consulting as well. But I just I don't like the idea of baiting and switching. Mm, and, mm -hmm. and I don't like the idea of selling someone on a non-results based product that is not quantifiable eventually and that is perpetually moving and going. I, I just don't think that you can do it that way. It's not fair. Well, yeah, but I totally agree with you, first of all. Well, hold on real quick. Before I, before I finish that, though, the other thing, though, is that's because of the way that I do coaching. There is, for instance, life coaching. Life coaching is completely different. Right, right. Business coaching to me, business coaching, career coaching, right? If you're trying to help someone get a job, business coaching, career coaching, leadership coaching, especially leadership coaching designed specifically to help someone get a certain position or attain a certain title, that has to have 
a finite amount of time. Life coaching, again, we talked about our buddy, our buddy Matt. Um, Matt Gagnon is fantastic, and he's a life coach. Life coaching can take forever because it's about consistently working with someone on the struggles that they're having, right? Professionally, personally, everything in between. You, there are not necessarily specific results that equate to not needing that person anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, uh, if I'm working with Matt, I expect to work with him forever and I am better for it. Mm-hmm. Right. So we also need to make sure we differentiate between the different kinds of coaches, right? A, a life coach like that, you expect and want it to continue over mm-hmm. and over, you know, for, for as long as you need that person. So I want to make sure we make that, that differentiation here, that there's a big difference between business leadership and career and then like a life coach. Well, I think your timetable and how you approach your business is also a pretty key differentiator. And it, it talks about, it speaks to your integrity, I think too, because I'm, I'm very similar in that the majority of my contracts are short term mm-hmm. only because I had seen it happen before where it was like, well, how do we, how do we keep this client for a nine to 12 month contract yeah. Even to the point where maybe they didn't, they didn't need me for that long. And so that's been something I know that's very personal for me. I love your approach to that on what's actually best for the client rather than just, I mean, heck, the cash flow is great for nine months, but really what this person needs is verifiable results over the next two months. And I think what you have to do, right, it, 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 makes, it forces you as a coach to be responsible for the people you, you sign up for. Right. right. It's, it's, it's not a volume based deal at this point where I say, Hey, I'm going to, I need to get X number of clients in here. Um, meaning that you meet, I meet you and I say, crap, I don't think I can do this in six weeks. Okay. Let's do it anyway. No, it means that I have to look at it and say, look, here's what we're going to be able to accomplish. Hopefully in six weeks, it's going to be 75% of what you need. Mm-hmm. And then allowing them at that point to decide, okay, after the six weeks is over, do you want to continue for another two weeks? Do you want to continue for another six weeks? But I think that you're right. It's putting everything up front and saying, here's what it is. Here's the amount of time it should take. Here's what I will do if we're successful. And then if you're not successful with it, it doesn't allow you to make excuses at that point. Mm-hmm. Because I think just like in business, think about it. If we're going to be business coaches or leadership coaches or career coaches, and we're we're asking people in business and leadership to take responsibility for their own actions, for their own business, for their own results. Yet we're unwilling as a business coach to do that very thing. Then we're the blind leading the blind. What's the point? Right. So I just, I believe in that and I'm not always successful. I'm just not, no one is. Um, I think though that one thing that my clients would tell you is that I'm always very upfront, Mm. which I think Mm -hmm. is important. Well, let's let's take a break because we've spent yeah. a lot of time talking about sort of the internal industry. I want to talk, let, let's get outside of it and talk a little bit about businesses, uh, leaders especially. You know, it feels like today's culture, there's, there's, it feels like it's almost harder than ever to be a successful business person only because, you know, social media is inundated with people who are, you know, they're sharing their success story. They're, mm-hmm. And you have marketers even who are sharing stories like, oh yeah, I mean, I tried this product and in six weeks I went from, you know, shoveling snow to now being a multimillionaire. It, you know, what, what are some of the biggest problems you see facing business owners today? 
I think the biggest problem right now is the lack of ability or desire of most business people to be flexible. Um, we, we're, we're in an interesting time in business right now where you have some very concrete things that everyone should do. Um, your basics, your blocking and tackling. Um, those things haven't changed. And there are some things that will never change, right? The basics of a business, right? The, the need to plan, the need to forecast, the need to treat people well, the need to take care of your community, um, the community that's going to take care of you eventually. But I think that it's, and I, I really believe that this is a social media thing. Um, social media has created a difference in marketing. We market differently than ever before. Um, people view marketing different than ever before, right? I mean, in the past, we could see a, a commercials. Uh, we could see that the Miller Lite, less filling, takes, tastes great commercial. And all we're thinking about is how cool the commercial is. Now, people will look at that and go, they're just trying to sell me beer. And so it's marketing's different. People are, yeah. I don't know if they're smarter. I think people are just more in tune. It's almost like a cynicism trying, too. It is. There's a cynicism. Well, and it's about selling. People mm. don't want to be sold to, right? Mm -hmm. And so they understand that there's no difference between marketing and selling. And so what's happened is there's a pushback on right now that's starting to happen in business with people saying, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. I am not doing social media. I'm not going to make videos. I'm not going to post. I'm not going to do these things. I'm not going to act differently. I'm not going to, uh, people are digging their heels in to things that they will not do because what they see is that they believe that everyone on social media is trying to get attention. They believe that social media is not actual marketing. And so I think there's a lack and, and that goes for a, a wide range of things. So I think that one of the things that the best business owners have are one, they're, they're very keen on forecasting for what's going to happen, not just with the revenue, but with the marketplace, the industry, where's the industry moving. But secondly, they're able to be flexible when that market changes. And so you just think about it, the, the people who um, push back and push back and push back on, on advertising on Facebook for the longest time, tell you what, the people that started advertising on Facebook at the very beginning are really happy they did. And the people who pushed back until now are seeing zero results. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's the biggest struggle that people have in business today is a lack of flexibility and a lack of forethought to move with the times. Mm. You know, people, you know this, I mean, think about it. People don't want to feel like that, that society moves them. Mm. Right. And society almost is a bad word these days. And I, I'm not doing that because just because everyone else is. It's hipster. And uh, <laughs> what's that? People are trying to be hipster. I'm not going to do that because everyone else is doing it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but huh, there's a reason that the hipster has no money and lives in his parents' garage. <laughs> yeah. Right? I you mean, killed it. That's right. And there's a reason for that. And you know what? More power to you. My, my 15 year old daughter right now told me the other day that. When she graduates, she wants to live in a van. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, she'll change it by next week. But Sure, sure. Uh, so lack of flexibility by mm. far. Um, be flexible in your business. Be willing to listen to what's happening. Make a 
reasonable and educated decision on where you move and how you do it, but don't be against change merely to be against change. Yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say there is the other problem that most businesses have, especially businesses who were founded by one person and they, and they've kind of brought it up to a certain level of success, be willing to listen to people other than those who absolutely love you. Mm. We tend to, to, to veer toward those quote unquote raving fans. Well, mm-hmm. I, I'll give you an example on my posts on LinkedIn, for instance, I have a very small circle of people who I will beg to disagree with me. I'll beg for it because the vast majority of the posts that we make at a certain point on social media, it's full of people saying, I agree. I love it. And it's not that I'm going to change my mind if someone disagrees with me because I post things that I truly believe in, but I'll look at what they say and then I'll engage in a conversation. Most people will only listen to that fan base saying, you're doing great. You're doing great. Keep it up. Oh yeah, do that. Oh, that's a great idea. We need more people in business who are willing to have people around them who will say, what the hell, Josh, that's stupid. (laughs) And then allow me to go sulk for 30 minutes (laughs) and and then come back and go, okay, talk to me about what we should do. And we don't have enough people willing to do that in business. Yeah. I love both things you just talked about. The second one, it makes me think of a great book. It's called, um, I think it's called the mom test or passing the mom test. And it's it, the whole point of it is talking. To, it's about talking to your prospective customers instead of being the business owner who you think what you sell is great because your mom told you it's great, or you know your best or your best friends who are like, oh, everyone's going to love that. Or you know, I had a guy who I was talking to yesterday. He he was like, I'm trying to develop. And it was kind of a wonky idea, but he was like, I'm trying to develop this idea for tweenpreneurs, like someone who wants to be an entrepreneur who's a tween. Okay. And he said, well, what do, you, what do you think about it? Should I do it? And I was like, I, I'm not a tween, so I don't, I don't know. Like, shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't you go ask them? Like, shouldn't you go talk to them? And he was like, oh, well, yeah, I just, you know, I guess I didn't think of that. But, but we go to these people who we know <coughs> about us and love us and want to encourage us. And then to your former point, I thought that was a really great insight as well. You know, it feels like sometimes people just don't create the space they need to, to actually look at the marketplace. You know, they're so That's busy. Right putting out fire after fire after fire that, uh, and then sometimes perceptions are just wrong. A friend of mine locally, she's one of her first starts into business was 15 years ago. It was a web design business. And she said one of the biggest problems was just convincing people you want a website. This is back in like 2002, 2003. And they were like, mm-hmm. why, what, why do I need a website? And that's not, that's never going to be a thing, you know? And right now it's, it's, you know, it's kind of funny how things have changed and developed. You know, it's by the way, what's funny about that too is, the now you have to be on social media yeah and you need a website that looks nice but now you need social media that will generate and convert and so yeah i I completely agree and again flexibility i mean it's not just business it's personally i mean think about what marriage would survive if you had two people who were individuals got into this marriage and neither of them both of them said yeah, I, I don't give a crap what you say. I'm doing this. Can you imagine <laughs> how, how long does that marriage work? I mean, I think we see that in Hollywood and it's the reason that people are married for an average of like seven months. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to be flexible and change in order 
to work with the people that I'm supposed to be working with. Well, it, it doesn't work in relationships. It doesn't work in real life. It does not work in business. And uh, just flexibility is, is key. Especially doesn't work in leadership as you're going from different personalities coming on your team, different giftings, different people. You know, it can be hard, especially for the ego-driven leader to be flexible in that way, it feels like. That's, that's what makes leadership really difficult because a leader, a leader has to, but you know, again, it's just like relationships. You have to know when to stand your ground and when to be flexible. That's another thing too. So you not only have to be, have, be willing to be flexible, but you have to, through previous experiences, understand what should be elastic and what should be rock. And you have to understand when the rock should change to elastic, mm. right? So you have to be consistently looking at what do I need to be firm on here with my beliefs? And if someone comes to me and says, we need to have a, a, uh, a stripper pole in the office, <laughs> well, I'm not going to be flexible with that. There's no why. What, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> right? Someone says, hey, we should have uh, free lunch for employees every Wednesday and Friday. There was a time when you would have thought that's a ridiculous idea. Your return on investment sucks. But then you realize that employee engagement is important. But then you start getting to the fact that there aren't really too many studies right now showing that that does anything for employee engagement and um, decreasing employee attrition. So then you have to you know, be flexible again to maybe change your viewpoint. So as a leader, you've got to not only understand that flexibility is important, but you have to understand when to be flexible. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what makes leadership harder than business ownership. It makes it harder than just about anything. So, well, and even to that, to your latter point there, I mean, knowing when to stand your ground, but also how to keep that person engaged where they don't mm-hmm. feel like you blew them off or their idea, you know, because even going back to the lunch, lunch concept, I think you're spot on. I, the studies I've seen have actually shown the opposite that even, even companies that have deep, deep sets of perks still have just as much turnover as yes. companies without it. And it's, it's not that these things aren't nice to have. It's just that they maybe don't move the needle as much as we think we do, they, that we think they do. So how do, you, yes. how do you take that person's idea in stride, but also you know, them not feel like you blew them off or you just don't care about their perspective? And, it is- well, and you know, it's, it's interesting too. I had a discussion about on the business consulting side about this, this they're a small, there's a small, almost mid-sized company. You have about 75, 80 employees. Um, and he was talking about his, his, uh, employee attrition and they're losing 35% employees annually. And, you know, so I'm sitting down with them talking about why, and they're doing all these things. And in the end, get back to leadership. It's about leadership. Um, and when I say that, because it's, it's because of this, that I can put out, all the food I want. I can have a ping pong table. I can have bean bags. I can have karaoke machines on Thursday afternoons and I can have happy hour on Friday. But if the employee just wants to figure out how to get their work done in seven hours instead of eight, mm-hmm. then none of that matters. And so what good leadership does when it comes to engagement is they build relationships with the people inside based upon trust, based upon uh, replicable behaviors that they've proven that work over time. And when you do that with your individual employees and with the team in general, then you know what it is that spurs them on what they care about. And then you can implement real strategies that mm-hmm. actually help them. I think that we, we move to this standpoint, right? Where 
we start to believe we know our team. I know my team. I've led this team for, for, you know, eight years, but you really haven't because you are losing 35, 40% annually. So most of these people have only been here for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And not only that, you hired them under false pretenses probably because you, as a leader, you weren't secure enough to tell them the bad with the good. (laughs) And consistently as they come in, you're doing things to the contrary. So they want this, you're doing this on a daily basis. And someone else out there is lying to them as well, saying they can get this instead over at their place. And it's a big revolving door. It's a big circle. Great leadership understands that I'm going to take the next 90 days to figure out what all of you want. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to come together as a team to figure out how to make you stay. And I'm not Mm going to beg you to stay. I'm not going to bribe you to stay, but I'm going to get to know you and what you care about. And I'm going to hopefully help you reach those goals. If you had those discussions with a company, I guarantee you that your employee attrition would drop dramatically. And it seems like, I think in my experience, what I've seen happen is the reason we go to those perks is because it removes the effort from me to have to spend the time to get to know you and because you know relationships take time they take effort you have to actually build that with someone and it's much simpler to just you know yeah bring your dogs to work and keep going at it than it is to actually develop the relationship and develop the trust yeah i uh so i had i had um i had this thought like a year ago and it was about transforming middle management And I started looking back at the history of middle managers and figuring out why middle managers initially were there, right? Middle management was supposed to be just an extension, right, of leadership, of executives. And a middle manager was going to be put in in order to do the things that the upper management couldn't do, develop relationships. Hmm. If If you're over a team of 500, but you have five different departments, There's no way the COO can come in and develop relationships with each person to help it move. But you can have a a middle manager who is now in charge of 75 or 100 people who can have a better time of doing that. And that model, if you do it that way, you have leadership understanding what has to happen from a forecasting, from a budget standpoint. And then you have the that moved down and then you have a middle manager whose job is to create an environment where the employees want to work to make that forecast happen then you have everything run, run real smoothly but instead what's happened right is you've had leadership who wants to do this they don't want to work with people so instead of pushing the relationship they're pushing the number and that's what the middle manager is for now the middle manager now is basically just someone who is working to push numbers for these people up here. And now you have a middle manager pushing these people, but the middle manager has no real power to move anything, change anything and that sort of thing. And so the, what's happened in our, in our leadership culture and in our business culture is we have no relationships being built. Um, we have no, and what it's caused is even if it's not true, this, idea that middle managers have care don't care at all about the employees and when there's no care about the employees then employees leave and so it would take a very small shift to change those things and that's why leadership is hard because again it's about a relationship and again if i didn't talk to my wife all the time if i closed off and we never went on dates 
if we if all we did was talk about the budget and where we are money wise, the relationship wouldn't last. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the goals that we're trying to achieve on a big scale wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think that uh, we need to understand, especially knowing that business is personal. There are so many lessons like that that we could bring into leadership and into business and on one-on-one relationships with employees that would totally change the specter of how businesses work and their success. So, sorry, I went on a little tangent there. No, no, no. It's, it's, that. it's really good, man. And, and, and what I'm wondering is, you know, what would you say to, because I've talked to some leaders who their perspective on leadership is, you know, here, here's a great example. You know, we're, you know, we're going out to eat and you know, we're not going to sit with the employees. We're only going to sit with the leadership team, make them sit, you know, yeah. separate from us. You know, we can't, we can't, you know, I can't be friends with these people. I can't talk to these people. Right. I've even like coached, I've even coached people before where I was talking to a guy and he was saying something like, he was like, so you're telling me in my office, I need to go around and have a conversation with my employees. And I was like, that's a good start. And he was like, yeah. and I have to do that every week, every month. I mean, what, I mean, what do I, how much do I have to do this here? And I was like, is this hard for you? Like, is this, but he just like could not in his mind, it was like the gap was so large. It's like, man, you're talking about building relationship. That's, that's crazy to me. What would you say to someone like that? Well, I'd say I feel for you because chances are who you're talking to again, falls into that middle management category, right? What to him, I would say, look, one, yes. That's what it means. Not, and when he, when he would come back and say, which one? Daily, weekly, monthly? All. Right? That's what I would say well, that it's, that's required in order to have a team that wants to work for you. The struggle that he has is from a larger leadership level, though. The reason he doesn't think he can do it is he doesn't think he has time. Right? He didn't have time to do that because upper management, the executives in the, in the company are pushing him for report after report after report, mm-hmm. right? When he meets with someone, they want it documented. And by the way, HR wants it documented too. Mm-hmm. So not only do you have report after report after report, you have numbers that you're trying to push. You're pushing out emails to say, hey, here's where you are numbers wise, sell, 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 customer service score, customer service score. But then they're having to go and make sure that they have every conversation completely on the record because HR is saying, if you have a conversation that you can't document and they come back to you, come back and say, he said this, you have no way to document what actually happened. And so the middle manager's mind is exploding. Mm -hmm. And so that's again, to the point that we just said earlier, the middle manager has one of two options right now. One, no, I'll say one of, no, it's one of two that there's some different things that can happen. One, the middle manager can keep doing that. Just keep doing what he's doing, right, or she. And what that does is you may be able to drive numbers, maybe, but you're going to have consistent flipping of employees, which means you're going to have higher cost of employment, which means your profit margin and your EBIT is going to go down, right? Um, you, you have that, or you're, we're going to need a set of middle managers who are willing to lose their jobs Hmm. who say, you know what? Tell you what, I know that you want those things. I want them to, I'm going to do it this way for the next three months. And if you don't see results, I'll move back into sales because let's be real too. Most middle managers now in organizations 
we're just really good salespeople. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm, Spot on. In general. And so we have to have middle managers who are willing to say, tell you what, I, I love this company. I want it to work. This is not working. And it's shown over the last decade that it doesn't work. I want to do this for the next 60, 90 days. And if we don't start seeing results, then I will move back into my sales position. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to sign something stating that you're giving me that position, by the way. But we need to have middle managers who are willing to do that mm-hmm. because that's the only way it's going to work is a middle manager putting something on the line to tell that executive, this is how it has to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and if we start doing that, you're going to start seeing big results. It reminds me of a story. So we have Tyson headquarters here mm-hmm. and uh, Donnie Smith, who he's retired now, but he was the C- CEO for seven or eight years, mm-hmm. grew the company from like 6 billion in valuation to like 80 billion in valuation, mm-hmm. like astronomical. And his story of how he became the CEO, it's real simple he was in charge of a division and there were like, you know, seven or eight, 10 different divisions. His was the most profitable. And they called him up and said, what are you doing in your division? That's different from everybody else's. Yeah. It exactly what you're talking about. He said, all I care about is culture. We don't get inundated with the complexity of the numbers. I literally spend the majority of my time with my people. So it works. It does. It it does. And, and, Again, it's culturally, you can't change culture if you don't have the ability to stick by the culture that you're changing Mm. or to stand Mm -hmm. by the culture you want. Mm -hmm. And so we we hear a lot of people nowadays talk about changing culture and and I'm going to be a culture changer and I'm going to go in and create this. I'm sorry, unless you're an executive and you're paid on the annual instead of the monthly micro because that's what most middle managers are. Let's be real. They're on a month-to-month contract for the most part. You're not going to fire a CFO or a COO after 30 days of not, I mean, you're going to fire the middle manager. Right. Um, so you really do have to have executives like that who can filter the culture down. It's really difficult to push culture up mm-hmm. um, as much as you try. So, yeah. Well, Josh, this has been insanely awesome. You have Good. just given me so many great insights. I'm sure the audience really appreciated it. Speaking of the audience, what can they do? Like, what's the one thing they can do right now to follow you, engage with you, get more of your content? What do you want them to do? Go to LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn, it's, it's funny. I, I'm going to go to it right now. So I remember what it is. No, um, I've, I've kind of staked my ground when it comes to social media on LinkedIn and everything's kind of following from there. So I'd say go to LinkedIn. Um, I, I'm just Joshua W. Deshay. Mm-hmm. So if you go linkedin.com forward slash Joshua W. Deshay, um, you can find me there. Connect with me. I'm not at 30,000 connections yet, so you can, you can absolutely connect with me. Um, I'd love to, to help out anybody I can. And um, my, my own business coach would, would say that I, <laughs> that I give too much away for free, but whatever. Um, I'm <laughs> happy to help, happy to give advice. Um, anything that you need. And so uh, that's, that's how you can get a hold of me. Well, Josh, thanks for being on the show today. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. For the listeners, I will put his LinkedIn bio uh, link in the episode description. And hey, if you're a first-time listener, what the heck are you waiting on? You need to subscribe to this podcast and continue to get good advice for you and your business. And if you really enjoyed this episode, which you'd be crazy not to, you got to leave this episode, leave the podcast a five-star review. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll catch you later. See ya. Bye.